Are you glad you're here today? Hope you're enjoying our service. Great music. We always love that. It's just great to be in church uh, where we can sing praises to God. We can encourage each other, look at God's word, kind of see how that interacts with our life. All, All good stuff. And we've been in a series, Ever Wonder Why, where we're asking different questions really people have about the faith. But specifically, we wanted to sort of zero in on some of those questions that come maybe a little bit less from our mind, which we talk about those all the time, but maybe a little bit more from our soul. And, uh, and so today, our question is, why doesn't God make himself more obvious? Why doesn't God make himself more obvious? And probably this is something that all of us have thought about or even wondered ourselves. Actually, this is a, an evidence, it's really an argument Some people use this as an argument against God. They call it the argument of the hiddenness of God, and it goes like this. If God is all-powerful and God is all-loving and God wants everyone to know him, all people to know him, but all people don't know him, therefore, there is no God. I mean, it just goes that fast. And maybe who made this the most famous was a, a philosopher, atheist named Bertrand Russell, and then he, he famously would ask this question as an evidence against God. And one time, somebody came up to him and said, you know, what if you died and then you ended up before God and you realized you were wrong and you're standing there before God after your whole life of saying he didn't exist, what would you say to God? And then Bertrand Russell said, you didn't give us enough evidence. You know, it's God's fault kind of a thing. And, and so... Besides it being an argument, we get that. But a lot of us as believers, sometimes we'll, we'll go through something or we're, we're, we'll go through a struggle. And it's just, God, why don't you show up in a more obvious way? You're all powerful. You can do anything. Why don't you show up in a huge, obvious way where nobody could deny it. Why, why doesn't that happen? And, and we wonder that. And I've been asked that question many times by people who are believers and people also in here who were atheists who now are believers have asked me that question. And it's a good question. And so you wonder, you know, why wouldn't God show up in a way where it'd be almost impossible to be an atheist? Because there's God. Well, So here's what I want to talk about today. Just want to structure this in three ways. First of all, God is obvious in a lot of ways to most people. Secondly, the problem with obvious. And third, the solution to obvious. All right, you got it? So God is obvious. Okay, nobody said, yeah, I got it. All right, so let me go through that one more time. We're going to structure this three ways. We're going to look at it. Well, you know, why doesn't God make himself more obvious? Well, God is obvious to some, and so we'll talk about that. But the problem with obvious and the solution obvious. Are you ready? All right, we're going to go. Boy, that was good. All right, we're going through this. So God is obvious to many. And actually, we know from Scripture, and we've sort of uh, systematized this to say there's two types of God's revelation to us. One way we call general revelation. That's where anybody can look around and figure out that there's a God. 
general revelation. That's mainly through creation. So Genesis 1.1, right, says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so what happened is when the science age came, a lot of people pushed back against that, denying God's existence. And then they said their argument back in the day was that the universe was eternal. The universe had always existed, so didn't need a God kind of an argument. But then at the turn of the 20th century, Albert Einstein had his theory of relativity. I think he published it twice, 1905, 19. 15, two different parts of that. And uh, that theory w- was a game changer, relativity. And then working off that, a guy named Hubble, who we name our, the telescope after, uh, he came along and then he showed that there was a red shift and that through redshift, he proved that the universe was expanding. And then after him, a couple other guys came along. Uh, their names were Penzias, and Watson, and they came along and they did some work and they were, they were looking at uh, what they call uh, cosmic microwave background radiation. And what they found through that is that they realized they, that was proof that the universe had a beginning. Well, if it's expanding, what Hubble found, that's proof because it's expanding. Well, you go backwards and it starts at a point. But these other two guys, Penzias and Watson, they're saying because of this Micro, cosmic microwave background radiation, which would be like uh, at the 4th of July in a few weeks when we see the fireworks going off. You know how they kind of explode and then disappear, but you look up there and there's still kind of that light-colored cloud? That's kind of what they're talking about. And they said that shows, hey, and that led to the Big Bang and, and, a, and a shift and all this stuff. But here's what I want to point out. The Bible, unlike all other religious texts, say that the universe was made out of nothing. Where other religious texts would say, you know, the universe was made in some way, but it was always with something, you know, started with something and made it into something else. But in the Bible, it's no, God created, God spoke the universe into existence. And then, and that's something that all of us should be able to look at the universe and see, wow, there has to be a designer here the way all this is put together. Romans 1 speaks to that. In verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, his in, meaning God's, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that, and this is key, they are without excuse. God is telling us that through creation, we are without excuse to wonder whether there's a God or not. We should be able to figure that out. But not everybody accepts this evidence for the existence of God. In the next verse, Paul writes, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And what Paul's kind of telling us is, The self-blinded and the self-deceived won't acknowledge God. You can't force them to. But God's given us plenty of evidence. He's real. As long as you don't willfully insulate yourself from that knowledge. That's the head part. 
But then there's the heart part. You know, I bet a lot of you, just in your time of reflection or maybe uh, when you're quiet and sitting on the front porch, if that ever happens anymore, or, or you're, you're driving and so you're, you're just thinking, and, and, and maybe uh, for me, you know, it's, it's the mountains or maybe it's, it's you see a sunset or you're out on the lake and you see a sunrise or, or whatever it is, are there times in your life where just sort of in the moment you're struck with the awesomeness of God. How many have ever kind of experienced, you know what I'm talking about there, yeah. And so it's like in that moment, we're seeing this tiny sliver of a refraction of the glory of God that's leaked out of heaven kind of a deal. As a matter of fact, this is what reminds me of that. In Psalm 19, one and two, it says, the heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Evidence for God is obvious and God's made it where everyone can see it. But in addition to creation, sort of in a general sense, and I'll explain the difference in a minute, is our own moral conscience. The fact that we can all pretty much know some things are wrong, it's wrong to hurt children, you know. We can argue about other things, but some things we just all get, yeah, that's not good, that's wrong. That actually points us to God's existence. Paul goes on to talk about that in the next chapter of Romans, uh, in 2.14, he says, for when Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people, non-God people, for when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the, the, work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts all alternately accusing them, alternately accusing them or else defending them. You see, our conscious, conscience points us to God. So, but that's just gen, what we call general revelation, meaning creation mainly, but also our own moral conscience that points us to God's existence. The trouble with that is it's not enough to know God personally. It's those two things don't tell us what God exactly wants us to do, how God exactly reveals himself. For that, we need something not general revelation. We need something called special revelation. And then special revelation comes to us basically in two forms. And one we talked about last week. One is scripture, God's word to us. And remember what we said about scripture, because I don't want to spend a lot of time going into that again, because we talked about that last Sunday, if you have any questions about that. But Scripture, we were saying, you know, the Bible is trustworthy. Why? Because it's a collection of historical documents. Remember, remember all this? It's a collection of historical documents that were written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. And that report or record for us supernatural events that took place in fulfillment of specific prophecies. And these writings were claimed to be divine rather than human in origin. So we won't go back into that. 
But so we have scripture. Scripture is amazing, so I don't want to just skip over it, but we talked about it last week. And then the other thing that we have, the other part of our special revelation about who God is personally is scripture, and then Jesus. Jesus came to earth. And so we know God in that way. But And in some sense, we say not enough evidence, not obvious enough. And we'll say, not obvious enough. Look around. And again, we're talking about the existence of God. Not everything he has to say. But look around. Look around at everything that we see. Wake up and and see. There's no naturalistic explanation for this. Life, something out of nothing, creation, balance, order in the universe That doesn't just happen accidentally. That never happens accidentally. It's against scientific law for that to happen accidentally, which is the law of entropy, that everything is kind of coming undone. So that right there. But then also our conscience, also this book, the most popular book in the world, and the most popular religious teacher, the most well-known person in the world, Jesus Christ. But, but we understand, so I'm, I'm saying that, but, but hear me. We, we, as believers, we do understand that some people would ask, God, why, why don't you reveal yourself in a more obvious way to me right now or to my unsaved friend? We get the question, because, and we get people saying, God's not obvious enough. And so the second thing I want to talk about is the problem with obvious. There, there's a problem, or actually several problems with obvious. For example, what's obvious to some is not obvious to others. About a month or so ago, we were talking about Jesus as he was getting ready to go uh, to the cross and just about a week or so before the crucifixion, he went into this uh, town. And if you'll remember, town of Bethany, and a friend of his had died, a guy named Lazarus. And every, every, there was a funeral, and there was all this mourning going on. If you remember, Jesus showed up, and he raised Lazarus back to life. We, you know, we talked about this. Well, when that happened, did you catch it? Remember the response? A whole bunch of people that were at that funeral believed I mean, it was an extended funeral. He had been dead three days. They, a bunch of people started believing in Christ. But something else happened. Other people then, because of that event, determined to kill Jesus, but not just kill Jesus. Kill who? Lazarus too. Why would they want to kill Lazarus? Because they saw him. He's the evidence of this resurrection. And we're going, Wow, so here are people, they see the same thing happen and they believe it happened, but you have two polar opposite responses. And of course, that happens all through scripture where God shows up in obvious ways, but people don't react the way we think they should react. Remember, uh, God's people were in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, and then God says, hey, it's time, and he raises up Moses, and Moses goes to lead them out. And so he confronts Pharaoh and says, hey, God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's, you know, not big on losing his workforce for his entire country. 
And so he says no. And then what happens? The 10 plagues, right? And it's plague after plague. And after, as it starts, uh, Pharaoh calls some of his magicians and his you know, smart guys around him, his wise men, and, and they sort of do some things that look like what God just did. And so they're like, yeah, this doesn't have to be God. But then pretty soon when they get in the middle of those plagues, those same men are going, hey, Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. This is God doing this. We can't do this. This is God. And what's Pharaoh do? He still says no. And no, and no, and no. Until the 10th plague, which is drastic. And then, and then when Pharaoh finally says yes and the people leave, what happens? He changes his mind. People can see the same thing. And by the way, it's not just people who don't like God. Look at God's people the whole time that they were in the wilderness, right? I mean, they're in the wilderness. The first problem they have is there's no water and then there's no food. And God miraculously uh, gives them manna that shows up like kind of like snow on the ground that they can gather and bake and turn into bread. And so they're doing that. By the way, they're following God, a, a pillar of fire at night, a, a cloud pillar during the day. I mean, God, show, he's there. He's shown up. Every day, he reminds them that he's there. And then God says, hey, Moses, come up to this mountain, and I'm going to instruct you about the right and wrong of my people. I'm going to give you the law. And so remember, Moses goes up. But he's gone you know, for a day, then two days, then three days. And then what happens? The people get impatient, and they turn to Aaron, Moses' brother, and they tell him, make us an idol. Well, these are the same people. Daily, they're experiencing God's provision. That's supernatural. They're following God. They see God. They're looking at this mountain where there's thunder, lightning. All this stuff is happening. And then during that time, because they get impatient, they ask for an idol. So that, it doesn't always work when things seem obvious. There are times all through the Bible when God is super, shows up in a super obvious way. And people reject them anyway. The other problem with obvious is that obvious facts don't interpret themselves. People interpret facts or what they see according to their preferences and their presuppositions. And a lot of that is just interpreting things the way they want to interpret it. And, that, and you should have no question about this after we've gone through two years of all this COVID stuff. You know how that's, you know, this is right, this is wrong. This is right, this is wrong. You know, and then all of a sudden people are looking at the same stuff and they're coming up with polar opposite conclusions. And then we have fact checkers, right, who turn out to be wrong. You know, and on and on it goes. We, people interpret facts not in a vacuum. According to their, their, they interpret facts according to their presuppositions and according to their preferences. Here's what happened one time late in Jesus' ministry, recorded for us in John 12. You know, a lot of times we say, you know, if, sometimes I'm asking God for this answer, but I, and, and I'm not sure what the answer is. And what I need is for God to show up and speak to me, you know, 
If God would just talk to me audibly, I've, had, I've talked to atheists and they say, if God just talked to me audibly, you know, boom. Well, here's what happened one time in, John, in Jesus' ministry, quoted by John, an eyewitness, in John 12, 28. He says, this is Jesus talking, glorify your name. Then a voice came. So he's with these people, he's, he's talking to them, and he wraps it up by Jesus saying, God, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven, and this is a big voice. This is God's voice, and it's not a real, like, high-pitched, squeaky voice, all right? It's God's voice. And he says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And so the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. And then Jesus clarifies, Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Here, even when God talks audibly, not everybody sees that for what it is. Case in point. And so we have this issue about facts, but there's another third problem with obvious is how much obvious God can you take? The sun is our light source, right? So, I mean, the sun is our light source. That's huge for us. Couldn't operate without the sun. But, and our eyes are made to see light. Everything we see is really light bouncing off of whatever we're looking at. But if we use our eyes to stare at the sun, the sun will destroy our eyes, right? It's too much. Humans can't bear to see God's glory. And this happened one time, about that same time that Moses was up there getting those commandments from God in Exodus 33, 18. Then Moses said, he's talking to God, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. He's God saying my personal name, the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face for no man could see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about while my glory is passing by that I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll take my hand away and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. You know, we, we say things like, God, make yourself more obvious and we don't know what we're asking for, right? Right? And what happened after this? Moses, who just saw kind of the, the passing by after God had gone, he comes down in front of the other people. And what are they seeing? His face is shining. It's kind of like, depending on what generation, you know, if you're older generation, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. Remember that? You know, they're out there, they're looking for the lost ark of God that's been missing for a couple thousand years. This is all fiction, by the way. The, but the ark's not fiction, but they find this ark. 
And then toward the end of the movie, they open it. Do you remember that? They open it, and I think these Nazis are the guys opening it. And then the guy looks in there, and he says, what's he say? It's beautiful. And then his face melts off. <laughs> or, or if you haven't seen that, because that was back a ways ago, you know, there's the Avengers Endgame, Right? I mean, everything's kind of going along, and then all of a sudden there's a blip, and a whole bunch of people just kind of disintegrate into dust. That's us seeing God. How much obvious can we handle? A pastor friend of mine once said, hey, we need a God that can melt our face off. We need a God that holy, that powerful. We, need, we don't need a grandfather God in a white beard handing out candy? That is not who we need. We need a God who can speak universes into existence. A God who's passionate about justice and righteousness and mercy and has the power to pull it off. That's who we need. We need a God who if he showed up, He'd have to stick us in a crack of granite and cover us with his hand when he passed by. Or we would be completely undone. But of all, so there's some problems with obvious. But of all the problems with obvious, this is the biggest. Here's the biggest problem obvious doesn't fix the problem. Obvious. Is it the issue? Why? Because believing in God's existence is not the issue. Proof of God's existence isn't all we need. If God did prove his existence, think about this. I, I, I've been thinking about this this week a lot. It, and, and I've talked to a lot of people that don't believe in God. If God did prove it, and they'll say, if God would just prove his existence, I would believe. But I'm convinced a lot of times, and I don't want to say this, I just believe this, that if God did absolutely prove his existence to some of these people who are passionately arguing against God, that they would move from doubting his existence to immediately resenting him because they don't like God or the concept of God. They don't want a God. And so they, all of a sudden, if there is a God, then it'd be just like Bertrand Russell. Well, it's your fault, your fault, your fault. Resent God. Making God's existence obvious to everyone. Making God's existence obvious to every single person through whatever needs they need wouldn't make anyone love or trust God, which is what God really wants. Let me talk to you ladies for a minute. How many of you ladies have ever been pursued by a guy, and the guy keeps asking you out for a date, but you're not interested? Right, this ever happened to anybody in here? One, no, no, there's more than that. The hands are just going up like this. He's sitting right next to me. You know, yeah, I got it. So, 
And then finally, because it keeps happening, you have to have the talk, right? And the talk goes something like this. I really like you, but only as a friend. Oh! By the way, guys, when you hear that, move on. Because she don't want to date you. She probably doesn't like you that much of as a friend either. You know, just move on. But what if that guy just said, no, it doesn't matter. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep pursuing you. I'm going to force you to love me. Well, what, what would you say then? I got to tell you, Pam and I have watched enough true crime that we would say, Run! You know, get out of there. Because it doesn't work that way. And, and if, that, if somebody actually said that, you know, a lady might say to him back, if you really loved me, you would leave me alone. You know? You can't force love. By definition, love has to be freely given, right? It's got to be freely offered or it's fake and it's ugly. It must be chosen. It must be free. God can't force anyone to love him. Not in a free sense. You see, we need a transcendent God who we, whom we can also have an intimate connection with. And that's what God is offering us. Because if he proved his existence in a super obvious way, people would still have to decide if they wanted him to exist. Because many wouldn't. And that's the problem. So we need a God who's both transcendent and intimate. And then that brings us to the solution to obvious. The solution to obvious is Jesus. Transcendent God came to us as a human being in a personal way to connect with us. John opens his letter in John 1.1 this way. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later in verse 14 it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We need a God who's transcendent and powerful in righteousness and justice. But we also need a God who is full of mercy and would make a way for us. God created us with freedom. And then freedom to love him back. And then he showed us through the law what's right and what's wrong, what's moral and what's immoral, what righteousness looks like. 
And although we could understand it, none of us could do it consistently for our lives. And so in his mercy, God sent his son. Because righteousness has been revealed, and justice says that unrighteousness must be punished. But in his mercy for us, God made a way through Jesus. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus came, and most of you know this, he allowed himself, he's God in human flesh, he allows himself to be killed. And as he was suffering on the cross, being tortured to death, he took on the sins of all of us. So he paid the price so that God's justice would be preserved even while we as sinners could be forgiven. The only way that happens is because God paid our penalty in Jesus. But we have, we must turn to Him in faith. And we do that through repentance, which just simply means that we admit that we have done wrong. We come to an understanding of what Christ has done for us, and then we change our thinking about that, which changes our hearts and then changes the direction of our life. And then that's what, when we experience God in an obvious way, it brings change in our life because we want to follow Him. We want to do the righteousness that He has shown us and revealed to us. We want to follow Him in our life. And, and He actually gives us strength to do that. And in our fallen condition, none of us do that perfectly. We, we still mess up. But our lives take a different angle, a different trajectory from just doing our thing to doing God's thing, to trying to follow and serve Him. And we look around and we see that He's here. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. God's given us enough evidence of His existence but acknowledging his existence doesn't make us love him or want to follow him. Jeremiah has, has a great verse. He says this in 29, 13. This is God talking. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. With all your heart. And that's the point, isn't it? That we would search with all of our heart. God wants a relationship with all of us, but it has to be free or it's no relationship at all. And so he creates us with freedom, but he's also completely honest with us and he tells us what's right and wrong and in 
the freedom in our own freedom, we've misused it to rebel against our Creator. All of us have done that. And in His righteousness, He can't let that slide. And in His justice, that has to be punished. All wrong. But in His mercy, He made a way if we would simply turn to Him, admit our sins, put our trust in Christ, and follow Him with our life. Repentance. Let's stand together for prayer. Father God in heaven, we, we've all had those moments that we look around and we see that the heavens declare your glory. And, and we're overwhelmed in those moments. We're amazed and we're filled with awe and wonder. And God, we've also, many of us have had those times wondering, God, what, why don't you make yourself more obvious? We know your existence is plain. We know you've revealed yourself generally and in a special way through your word and your son. And God, we realize that in your transcendence and in your love, power, righteousness, and justice, you're doing the exact right thing in the balance of that that we see all around us. Because you being more obvious, and what some people mean by that, it doesn't fix the problem. Because we need to respond to you by faith. Not blind faith, reasoned, logical faith. And God, we thank you, the gift that you give us to be able to see that. And so God, help us follow you Help us to live in a way that you want us to. Help us to demonstrate change. Help us to deploy for others. And thank you for this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.